Good morning. My name is Nicole. The Old Testament reading is found in Zephaniah 3, 14 through 17. Rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your judgment. He has turned away your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is in your midst. You will no longer feel evil. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, don't fear, Zion. Don't let your hands fall. The Lord, is your, your God, is in your midst, a warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The word of the Lord. New Testament reading is found in Colossians 1, 12b through 14. He made it so that you could take part in the inheritance, in light granted to God's holy people. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his of the son he loves. He set us free through the son and forgave our sins. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John 14, 1 through 3. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be there too. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Father, we come before you today as those redeemed by your son and gathered by your spirit, and we join the long company of your people, and we say, speak, for we're listening. Speak, Lord. For we, your servants, are here to hear from you. So as we open the scriptures, would you speak to us? Give us ears to hear minds to understand, and hearts to receive all that you have for us today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. I don't think it's fair to have to preach after child dedications, um, but we're going to give this a whirl. When I was a kid, uh, we spent a, a decent amount of time in the car, not an extraordinary amount, but more than probably would expect for living in a small town in rural Iowa, and some of that was just making lots of trips 20, 30 minutes away to a town for visit family or different kinds of things we had to go to Mason City, Iowa for. And typically, we would spend that time in the car listening to the radio. My dad did have an eight-track player for a little while, so we had that, and then we had the cassette tapes. I don't think we ever had a CD player in our car uh, when I was a kid. So we listened to a lot of the radio, and outside of like 80s rock and 90s grunge, uh, the thing I most liked listening to was Paul Harvey. Anybody remember the old Paul Harvey radio show? So Paul Harvey had this program called The Rest of the Story. And so Paul had this brilliant way of telling stories where he would introduce you into something, oftentimes a story that was actually very, very familiar. And then he would tell that part, and then he would say, kind of make this shift. I don't even remember how he did it. He just had, he'd captured my attention. And he would go in and share additional details that you didn't know before. Sometimes it was background things. Sometimes it was something that happened in the middle of the story that you didn't realize had happened. And other times it was like, here's what happened afterwards. And you got the end of the story was the rest of the story. 
This morning, we are in the ninth week in our series through the Minor Prophets. It's a series called Everyday Prophets. The Minor Prophets are this collection of 12 uh, prophets who wrote little, as opposed to the major prophets who wrote a lot. And today, we're going to be in the book of Zephaniah. So if you want to try to find that in the scriptures, you can. If not, we're going to be everything on the screen. And Zephaniah actually contains some of the most startling, even disturbing pictures of God's judgment among all of the minor prophets. We've already seen a lot of those images up until this point, and Zephaniah's are crystal clear at various points. And what Zephaniah is sort of resoundingly saying is that judgment is near for the people of God. It's not just near, it's imminent. It is going to happen It's a way of him sort of saying all the warnings that have been given have expired, time's up, and the judgment is coming. And yet he doesn't end there. He goes on at the end to make it very clear, judgment is coming, judgment is near, but judgment is not the end of the story. We begin in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, the Lord's word came to Zephaniah, Cushy's son, Gedaliah's grandson, Amariah's great-grandson, and Hezekiah's great-great-grandson, which I think we need to start all introducing ourselves this way, going back several generations and going that way just so we know where each other comes from. In the day, and he's prophesied in the days of Judah's king, Josiah, Amon's son, we only get one for him. He doesn't get as much. What we find here is that Zephaniah is a member of the royal family. He descends from Hezekiah, who descends from David. And he's prophesying to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, in the days of Josiah. So sometime between 640 and 609 BC is where we find Zephaniah preaching. Josiah was the last good king that Judah had before they wound up in Babylonian exile. Josiah is a king that's trying to bring about reform. He's trying to remove idol worship from the country. He's trying to restore right living to the people of God. And Zephaniah is coming in the, sometime in his reign, either early on, and then Zephaniah's reforms start to come, or in the middle of his reforms, or maybe even at the end saying, nice try, you guys. <laughs> but... Judgment is coming. And so Zephaniah comes to us as the last of the minor prophets that is right before the Babylonian exile. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in Babylon and afterwards. You could say he's the last pre-exilic minor prophet, which I think would be a great band name. Like, we are the pre-exilic minor prophets. We're glad you came to the show today. Uh, but my band names never really work out very well. So in Zephaniah, we see two movements kind of way away at the beginning uh, where he's developing two common themes that have come up in the prophets. He's developing over his first two movements the day of the Lord and the idea of a surviving remnant within Judah. He begins this way, Zephaniah 1, 14. says, the great day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh is near. It's near and it's hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord, the sound is bitter. The warrior cries aloud 
there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress, a day of anguish, a day of ruin, a day of devastation, a day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of clouds, a day of thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cries against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I think it's going to be a party. I mean, he says in every way possible, this is not going to be a good day. It's a terrible, rotten, no good, very bad day. So in this opening section, he's talking the day of the Lord is coming, and he's specifically saying that this judgment is coming upon Judah and Jerusalem. Early on, when Israel thought about the day of the Lord, they thought the day of the Lord was coming against their enemies. And the prophets, we find the day of the Lord is coming against them for the ways that they have violated their covenant with God. And so he develops all of this focused on Judah and Jerusalem. And in the second part, he moves on and says, oh, and the nations are going to be included in that. But at the very end of the nations, he comes back to Jerusalem and Judah. In fact, it seems like at that point that for God, there's no way to distinguish his people from the rest of the nations. That there's just no distinction anymore among them. And yet, all throughout this time, Zephaniah is revealing that there is going to be a group that will survive God's wrath, a group that's referred to as a remnant. The first time they're introduced is Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. He says this, he says, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who practice his justice and seek his righteousness and seek humility, because maybe you'll be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. It begins to talk about this remnant, this group of people that will survive God's wrath. And he says the central characteristic of this group is humility. It's this humility that actually leads to or produces justice and righteousness. A kind of humility that says, we don't know the right thing to do, but we trust that you do. We don't know the right way to live, but we trust that we do, that you do. So we're going to submit ourselves to your way in the world. The humble are those who seek God's justice and God's righteousness in contrast to the proud. The proud are those that proclaim their own self-righteousness, <laughs> right? Look how good we are at doing all of these things. God, we got this. We know that you said this. Watch us go and take care of it. But it's the humble that find shelter in the Lord. And yet, even in Zephaniah, we find that they will be scattered. Uh, this group is still scattered as a result of the judgment. They still head in to exile. They still see Jerusalem captured and the temple destroyed. That this group still experiences loss and dislocation. That they themselves weep and they wail, and yet Zephaniah reassures them. He comes and he says, judgment is near, but judgment is not the end of the story. So Zephaniah and the other prophets want us to know is that, yes, there is judgment, but the end of the story is something entirely different. The end of the story is something more. The story never ends with judgment. It goes on past that. And so what Zephaniah does at the very end of his book is he begins to paint with words. As the prophets do so often, they turn to this look of what lies on the other side of this, and they begin to give us a picture of what God's plan is 
for his people and for his creation. For Zephaniah, he pays particular attention to what it's going to sound like and who's going to be there. What are the sounds that you're going to hear and what are the sounds that you will no longer hear? And who is going to be there and whose presence will you no longer feel? What will you hear and who will you see? And he goes on and he says this, Zephaniah 3.14 says, Rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Sing, shout, rejoice, exult with joy. Which I think the word exult is rather odd, by the way. I just... Every time I say it, it feels weird coming off. And does anybody else feel that way about the word exult? No? Okay, it's just me. Sing, shout, rejoice, exult. It's the same idea repeated four times using four different words, which is oftentimes how I feel in talking with my children. <laughs> I'm saying the same thing four times, four different words. But the idea of the repetition here is not replying sort of like, oh, you don't understand, the repetition here is implying completeness, fullness, a fullness of sound, fullness of singing. Our lives are filled with sounds. Our lives are sort of replete with noises. You can imagine for a moment, what are the sounds going on in Judah at this time? Here they are, just a couple of decades away from Babylon coming. Babylon has taken over Assyria. There's probably all the reports coming out of Babylon gaining strength, of Babylon gaining territory, of Babylon getting closer. There's the sort of haunting sounds of their war machine on its way toward them. And then they hear the warnings of the prophets saying, repent and change. And maybe in the other ear, the false prophet saying, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing whatever you're doing. Idol worship, injustice, all of those things are just fine. And then we can think about in our own lives, what do we hear? We think about the sounds that fill our lives. Think about the soundtrack that plays. For some of us, it may be in a moment that you're like, it's all show tunes right now. Right? There may be, it's like right now that life is filled with those kinds of moments. But for a lot of us, there's moments, if not long periods of time, where instead of show tunes, we have Soundgarden. The song Black Hole Sun, you know, sort of like just everything feels ominous. I would have come up with a more contemporary example than Soundgarden, but I realized for the last 11 years I've listened to nothing but kids pop and Disney hits. So I, I just don't know who people are listening to these days. Like, I've, sorry, I have nothing better than Soundgarden and, you know, others. But for many of us, I think, we think about the, the sounds that fill our lives. It's the sound of toil. The sound of work. Maybe it's just the clicking of a keyboard. Or maybe you're working in a place where it's just the clanging of machines. Or it's the incessant ringing and dinging of our smartphones and smart devices. Ding! Ding! Another new notification coming in. Or maybe it's that sound when you finally get to the end of the day, you sit in the car and it's just... It's like, was any of that worth it? Did I accomplish anything today? 
all that happened was my task list just got longer. For others, maybe it's not the sound of toil, but it's the sound of tears. Maybe it's the cries of your children. Or maybe it's the cry for your children. Wanting something to happen or something to be different in their lives. Maybe it's the cry for children. And wanting to be married or wanting to have kids for a long time. And it's those tears that fill your days. Or maybe it's the tears that come with hurt, with betrayal, with another disappointment and a long line of disappointments. Maybe for you it's not so much that the sounds are out there, but the sounds are in here. It's that voice of doubt. You can't. God won't. Or maybe it's that voice of despair. You'll never. They'll never. God certainly will never. Or maybe for many, it's the overwhelming sound of silence. Silence can fill a room pretty quickly, can it? For some, maybe it's the silence of loneliness and isolation. You find yourself watching online, again, longing to be with people, longing to be in community, but you just can't right now. And it's the silence of your own space. For others, it might be the grievous absence of a voice that you love. Someone that you've lost the last year. A friendship, a relationship that's disintegrated. And you're just grieving the loss of that voice in your life. Those kinds of sounds tend to echo in our ears and reverberate in our bones, don't they? They sort of fill up our lives. And yet when we're reading in Zephaniah, we see all of those sounds coming. The sounds of the day of the Lord. They were so vibrant and so descriptive that this is going to be a day like this. But when we get to the end, all of those sounds are gone. They're all gone. See, he says judgment is near, but judgment is not the end of the story. It says, instead, the end is resounding joy. This is where our lives are headed, despite whatever our soundtrack might be right now. The very end of our story with Jesus is that there will be resounding joy. Joy upon joy upon joy upon joy that we will sing and we will exalt and we will rejoice that this will be the sound that we hear, that grief will be gone and joy will resound. It will fill us up and we will sing For Zephaniah, the end is music. It's the kind of music I think that will result in me having rhythm and being able to sing on tune. At least that's what I'm hoping for at that point. The end is resounding joy. And you're sitting there going, all of a sudden, reading all of this, and Zephaniah breaks and rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Like, where is this coming from? Why would we do that, Zephaniah? Where is the source of all this joy coming from? And he says this. He says, the Lord has removed your judgment. Where's all this singing coming from? The Lord has removed your judgment, and he has turned away your enemy. The Lord... The king of Israel is in your midst, and you will no longer fear evil. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, don't fear Zion, and don't let your hands fall. 
See, Judah hears in the beginning of this prophecy impending judgment. It hears the sound of the encroaching enemy. And you can imagine what kind of fear would have gripped that community at that time. Can you imagine being in Judah at this time, hearing the sounds of Babylon coming, being gripped with fear, and even being paralyzed by it? This idea of not letting your hands fall, because this is what happens as our hands fall. We get frozen and we don't know what to do. I think for us, we think about this past year in our lives. It's been one year since we had our last service before all of this pandemic began, kind of hit our shores here. Think about in the past year how much anxiety and how much fear And then out of that, how much anger has come spilling out of us. How many times that we have felt unsure what to do. How many times we found ourselves in the middle of arguments and opinions and perspectives and going like this and feeling tossed around and being unsure exactly what to do. And for some of us, that rises us up to fight. And for others, we're like, I just want to run away. And we find ourselves going through three cans of Nutella. You know, it's like we're just retreating into some place. And for others, just frozen. I don't know what to do. And hands drop. But in Zephaniah, we find that the Lord is saying to his people, your judgment will be removed and your enemy will be turned away. The enemy is gone. And who's present? God. But the Lord, the King of Israel, will be in your midst. See, judgment is near, but judgment is not the end of the story. See, the end is liberating presence. It's the liberating presence of God that regardless of where we find ourselves, at the end of our story is that we find ourselves in the midst, in the presence of the Lord, the King of Israel, and His presence is the very thing that sets us free. It's a liberating presence that comes into our lives. Paul put it this way. He said, he rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. He set us free through the son and forgave us of our sins. In the end, we are forgiven and we are set free Thus, all we see this picture of threat dissipating and fear fading. Why? Because God showed up. It's not because they suddenly started doing something differently. They sort of figured it all out and like put themselves together and found a way through it. No, instead all this happens because God is in their midst. And according to Paul, that's not just the end of the story, but it's actually what God's doing now. That in Christ, we have been set free. And in Christ, we are being set free. If you think about those moments when song bursts out of your heart, it's usually in a moment when you remember what you've been released from. Or in that moment of experiencing that kind of release 
that kind of relief, that kind of freedom, that kind of the Lord showed up and suddenly his presence was there and what hand gripped you and held you so tight suddenly gets transferred into his hands. It's like, oh wait, I can breathe again. And suddenly breath comes back into our lungs and we begin to sing. And for others, maybe it's right now. In the midst of a service like this, God's starting to talk to you. This is what I want to release you from. This is what I want to set you free from. Sometimes that happens in a moment. Most of the time, it's a long walk in the same direction with a lot of friends and counseling and accountability and help and prayer and all of those kinds of things. Sometimes he does it in a moment. Oftentimes, it's a long walk in the same direction with him, but it's his presence that's liberating for us. That's the end. It's liberating presence. It goes on, it says this in 317, the Lord your God is in your midst. I love the fact that he repeats it several times. The Lord your God is in your midst. In case you've forgotten, the Lord your God is in your midst. That's the epicenter of all that is happening is the very liberating presence of God for he is a warrior bringing victory. The original language says he's a warrior who is mighty to save, if you remember that song. And he will create calm with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. In chapter one, there was another warrior. It's the sound of God, the warrior coming against Judah. It's the battle cry of the Lord on the day of judgment. So the truth is, is that God will always come against what's against us, even if what's against us is inside of us. He will always come against what's against us, even if What's against us is inside of us. He'll come against us. He'll come against that in order to set us free, in order to rescue us, in order to liberate us. Because now we see the the warrior that was crying is now the warrior who is mighty to save. The warrior who it says this creates calm with his love. The warrior who creates calm with his love. The original language actually says he reduces to silence with his love. He reduces to silence with his love. The judgment is near, but judgment is not the end of the story. The end of the story is deafening love. It's a deafening love kind of love that silences all the other sounds. You ever been around folks that are just falling madly in love? <laughs> See them at a restaurant. Maybe this is, you know, you and you can kind of put yourself back in that moment the first time in middle school or wherever it happened to be. There's a, a sense in those moments where you're like, do you realize that there's another world outside of your world right now? Where there's those moments it's like, Everything sort of fades away (laughs) in the gaze and the capture of the other person. There's something about love that can cause everything else to kind of fade away. Same thing happens to a new parent. See the new parents that are holding that child. It's like doctors and nurses and machines and beeps and all of these kind of things. They're in some sterile, cold room. And it's like there's just the smile and they're enraptured. 
with this child and try talking to them in silence all around. Or the person who finally discovers the very thing that God built them for. Right? You ever been around someone that moment that that just kind of clicks in? This is who I am. This is who God made me to be and this is what I'm going to live, give my life to. And all of a sudden everything else sort of fades and it just like clicks in. They're locked. They've fallen in love with the thing that God has given them. When we find the person or the persons or the things to give our lives to, suddenly everything else kinds of fades or it gets quieter in our lives. There's a sense that love is really deafening. And what Zephaniah wants us to know is that in the end, God's love will reduce every other sound to silence. All those sounds that are filling up our lives right now, that in the end, his love will reduce them all to, si- to silence. Why? So that we can hear the song that he's been singing over us the whole time. He reduces everything else to silence so we can hear the song that he's been singing over us. God has been singing a song over you from the day that you came into being. He's been singing a song over you, but it's so hard for us to hear it because all the other sounds in our lives. And I wonder, actually, if this is the call of the church. The call of the church is to be silent enough to hear God's song. To sort of tune our ears to the song that God is singing over us. To understand that he delights in us. To know that he loves us. To know that he sings over us. To allow his love to silence everything else in our lives. So that we can then echo the deafening love of God into the world. So that they might be able to hear the song that God's been singing over them their whole lives. What would it look like? What would Colorado Springs look like if we were the kind of people who heard so clearly the song that God was singing over us that it actually echoed or reverberated out of us in a way that brought forth so much love out of us for others that God could show up in the middle of that, use it and fuse it with his love and turn down the dial on every other sound in their life that they might hear God singing over them. What would Conroe Springs look like? What would it sound like if as the church we said, this is what we're called to do? What would would even our households and our workplaces look like if we said, you know what? My role in my friend's life is to echo the deafening love of God into their life. My role in my spouse's life is to echo the deafening love of God into their life. My role as a parent in my kid's life is to echo the deafening love of God into their life. My role with my coworkers is to echo the deafening love of God into their life. My role with my neighbors is to echo the deafening love of God into their life. My role with my enemies, my opponents, those who I think are the problem, 
Those who, if they just changed, then everything would be okay. Those that have set themselves up against me and against the Lord and against my values and against everything what I think and hold to be true and good and godly and loving in the world. What if I said that my role is to echo the deafening love of God into their life? That they might hear the song that God's been singing over them since they came into being. What would it look like, church, if we were to be the people that echoed the deafening love of God so that others could hear the sound of him singing? Because the end is not judgment. The end is music. The end is singing. Us singing. But only because we've heard the sound of God singing over us. This morning as we come to the table, that is our great prayer. Is that as we're gathered together as the church to come to the table, what we're asking God to do is to silence the other sounds in our lives. That he would reduce everything else in his love. That we would once again behold the face of Jesus They would be ushered into the liberating presence of God. We would find ourselves set free and forgiven and redeemed and restored. That we'd find ourselves in the midst where we find that the Lord is in our midst. That he would silence all that so we could hear him singing over us. So that when we get sent back out into the world that we've been called to, that we might echo that love and others might also hear his sound.